Hello and welcome to another edition of Flashpoint. I'm your host, Ryan Mills. Uh, joining me today to talk tax reform is Jim Gould, tax consultant and advisor to the Crane Coalition, of which AFPM is a member. Jim, thanks for joining me. Ryan, pleasure to be here. Well, let's jump right in. Uh, yesterday, the Big Six released their consensus framework for tax reform. We have heard that the administration hopes to move something through Congress by December and get to the president's desk by the end of the year. Can you give us your thoughts on what the tax reform process will look like and whether it is, in fact, possible that comprehensive tax reform can pass into law this year? Sure. There's no question that the goal of finishing this by the end of the year is an aggressive schedule. I think everybody understands that. If you look at past uh, major tax bills, the process plays out over a longer period partly for the political maneuvering involved in a tax bill, the negotiating, and in large part because of the sheer complexity of drafting complicated tax provisions. And this bill, uh, as it's currently envisioned, will have plenty of very, very complicated tax provisions to draft. So if you were thinking, uh, if you're looking at past tax bills, you'd think this bill uh, will take longer than the next three or four months. Additionally, um, Congress has to pass a budget resolution establishing the revenue targets for this bill before the actual work of the tax bill can start. That's a process that will that the hope is will play out uh, uh, in the next month. Uh, that could get delayed as well. There are a lot of uh, difficult issues uh, in putting together the budget resolution in the House and Senate and then coming up with a unified plan between the two bodies. However, having said all that, obviously, with the uh, failure on the health care effort, the repeal of Obamacare, uh, Republicans feel a lot of pressure, enormous pressure, as does the White House, to put together a tax bill in short order, uh, to come together, to coalesce, to agree on a plan. And so you can't discount the possibility that they'll move this, uh, Congress will move this very quickly. The framework recommends preserving two business credits, the R&D credit and the low-income housing credit. Otherwise, the framework envisions repeal of other business credits, although the write-up also notes that the Finance or Ways and Means Committees may decide to retain other credits, too. With that being said, many of AFPM's members are historic users of LIFO. Can you talk about your views on the fate of LIFO and tax reform? And if LIFO were repealed, can you talk a little bit about possible transition rules for existing LIFO reserves? Sure. The, the tax uh, writing process here will be a difficult balancing act uh, between coming up with tax offsets uh, to uh, cut the cost of the bill, that is to offset the cost of the rate cuts and other tax cuts included in the measure, uh, and ba balancing that against uh, the level of tolerance or the level that's set in the budget resolution for the allowable increase or unallowable increase uh, in the deficit. And so suppose the tax cuts in the bill cost $2 trillion, $2.5 trillion, and the tolerance for a deficit increase is is much less than that, say it's a trillion dollars, then they're going to, uh, there's no question there'll be pressure, more than pressure, the, the tax writers will have to come up with tax offsets. So a few are mentioned in the, in the framework, but for the most part, the framework is silent on what that menu would be. Uh, any large uh, revenue item that was in Dave Camp's tax reform proposal, Dave Camp was the former chair of Ways and Means, his proposal of three years ago would potentially be on the table. LIFO repeal is in that category. It was uh, it was in his bill. It was significant uh, revenue during the certainly during the early years of uh, of the camp uh, bill, and uh, so uh, the the framework is completely silent on the treatment of LIFO. 
but there's general language uh, that uh, tax writers will look at uh, at industry specific provisions, will modernize industry specific provisions, and will repeal special exclusions and deductions. Whether LIFO would fit in that category uh, remains to be seen, but it certainly uh, it certainly could get on the table. If it gets on the table, the issues uh, that always surround the proposed repeal of LIFO are over what period of time companies would be required to bring into taxable income their LIFO reserve, over how many years that is, and at what rate, and there could be differential rates as CAMP proposed for different uh, sizes of businesses. Uh, and then on the question of whether there could be a grandfather for the reserves so that there would essentially be a fresh start and companies would switch to uh, to FIFO without recover, uh, recapturing their LIFO reserve, that certainly will be discussed. From the point of view of tax writers, however, that would take away most of the potential revenue and therefore would probably, I suspect, not make the political pushback that they would get from tackling that issue uh, worth the trouble. Uh, and that was certainly where Camp came out when he drafted his bill. Our members are capital-intensive businesses, and so we are especially interested in the reference to implementing unprecedented expensing. Uh, the framework indicates that they are hoping to implement full expensing for five years. Can you share any thoughts on what will happen uh, after full expensing expires? Is permanent bonus depreciation still under consideration? Also, in reference to expensing, the framework makes reference to an unprecedented scope of eligible assets. Do you think the committee is uh, considering full expensing for just assets eligible under 168K, or does the language of the framework indicate a more expansive list of eligible items? Well, again, uh, the framework doesn't say a lot. It does use the word depreciable assets uh, in its reference to expensing, which, and, it, and it also specifically removes buildings uh, from expensing. So the conclusion that a lot of people reach is that basically what they have in mind, what the, what the writers of the framework have in mind, is an extension of current bonus depreciation, uh, except at the 100% level because bonus depreciation currently excludes long-lived assets like buildings and it currently applies to depreciable assets. It doesn't apply to intangible assets. So that's the, that's the general perception of what the framework, uh, what the framework intends. And just as a, as a broad observation, uh, that change is probably the biggest uh, change in tax philosophy from the CAMP draft. CAMP proposed to, to cut back uh, the tax benefits for domestic investment in plant and equipment uh, as one of the offsets for, for reduced rates. The economic models, however, show that it is precisely uh, the uh, measures that reduce the cost of capital for domestic investment that tend to boost capital spending and boost growth in jobs and have a feedback effect on revenue. And so this uh, th the framework now goes in the opposite direction rather than paring back uh, provisions that benefit domestic investment, they propose to go the other direction. So it's a, from the point of view of capital-intensive industries uh, like uh, refiners, it's a very favorable and, and, and welcome change. As far as what will happen when uh, when a temporary 100% bonus depreciation or expensing period ends, the the uh, the framework is completely silent on that. Could they conceivably uh, cut back, propose to cut back the existing accelerated depreciation, the so-called maker system after that? Uh, seems unlikely, again, uh, given the economic models and the change in philosophy. Uh, 
but uh, but that's completely up in the air what happens after after the five year period. And one note on on the temporary expensing or or uh, bonus depreciation period is that whether that is possible may ultimately depend on the shape of the budget resolution because uh, and this is, gets down into the weeds a little bit. But in the Senate, the Budget Committee is contemplating shifting to what's called a current policy baseline for government revenues, which means that for purposes of figuring out baseline government revenues, that is the course we're on, uh, the estimators would assume that temporary provisions in the law, that is provisions that are now scheduled to expire, continue. And that's that's the way most spending uh, uh, bills or, or spending programs are treated already in the budget. Um, and if they do adopt that and that becomes the uh, that provision is in the final uh, budget resolution agreed to by both the House and the Senate, then any temporary provisions like a temporary expensing provision would in fact be scored as permanent under that rule. And so it would it would essentially preclude uh, enacting uh, temporary provisions as a way of making a tax reform bill look more attractive and holding down its cost. AFPM and its membership has been very active in working with Congress and the Department of Treasury on the partnership audit rules. In fact, a number of the provisions included in last year's technical corrections bill were things that AFPM has advocated for. Can you talk a bit about the technical corrections bill and what the outlook is for enactment this year? Sure. Technical correction bills uh, generally do not uh, go through Congress on their own. In fact, very few tax provisions anymore go through Congress on their own. That, that's, that's been a change from the past. So technical correction measures typically get a ride on a bigger tax bill. And uh, if, uh, depending on the shape of, of the tax reform bill, in the final analysis, whether it's end of this year or next year sometime, uh, it is certainly possible that a package of technical corrections could get added to the to the tax bill. If the bill uh, goes through uh, under the current uh, budget, uh, what they're currently contemplating, which is the so-called budget reconciliation procedure, which precludes filibuster in the Senate, one of the restrictions on that process is that the bill cannot include so-called non-revenue items, that have cha- provisions that change policy without having a primary purpose of changing government revenues up or down, and technical corrections would fit in that category. There are provisions that by definition uh, do not change revenues because they're considered to, to merely conform the law to the original intention of, of the tax writers. And so uh, if the bill goes through in that manner, then technical corrections may not be able to be included on it. If, a, uh, if the tax bill uh, at the end of the year is not uh, completed or is not ready to be completed and it's going to go into next year, then it is certainly possible at the end of this year Congress will put together a miscellaneous tax bill that may extend expiring some expiring provisions in the law, of which there are a number, uh, and, and also attach a technical corrections title. That has happened many times and certainly would be uh, an ordinary uh, outcome. It's probably happened 20 times in the last 35 years something like that. So that would be uh, a not surprising outcome this year. Well, Jim, thanks so much for joining me. Pleasure, Ryan. Anytime.